morning, everyone. Thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio. We are here today with Dr. Rick Holm, who is an internist. He will answer your medical questions if you'd like to call us at 692-1430 and leave the question with the person who answers. We'll get to it. Uh, and then in the meantime, we'll discuss a variety of other things. So uh, we're, we're glad to have you join us. Yes, we are. And uh, we'd really appreciate your calls today. Today we're going to talk about peds, you know, and it's good to have Joni here because that's her field. Peds being pediatrics. Pediatrics. <laughs> the, the, the ped, the Latin word <clears throat> yeah, meaning feet. What do you think? Um, what? Foot. Yeah, it's true. Foot has to do with the the uh, with children because children are short and they're not any taller than your feet, as I understand it uh, from my from my uh, my my my, wo- my wood study, I guess. Right? Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Or you can stomp on them with your feet because if huh. you don't, uh, if you're not careful, because they'll be underneath your feet. I don't know why it's. <laughs> I, I think don't that either. That's it. But Let's ask our pediatrician guest tomorrow night. Yes, we will. The, he is the chair of the department of of uh, pediatrics at uh, USD Sanford School of Medicine, Dr. Joe Zenel, and it'll be very interesting to hear his comments and uh, with Joni's help on on the idea of what are the topics, where are we going to go with this, and so it's been, I appreciate all your help with this topic, Joni. The direction for this show, for those of you who are listening, and and let's back up and say that this is Prairie Doc, our on-call with the Prairie Doc that happens every Thursday night on public television at seven o'clock and our focus is for grandparents who are entertaining who are spending time with their grandchildren we know that our demographics are not the ones who the folks who have the young children necessarily i mean those folks are welcome to watch and we and we think we have a good number of them but i think you know we have a lot of grandparents out there and even great grandparents so at Things have changed, and we want you to call in with your questions tomorrow night that talk about what, uh, what it's like or what questions you have a, about being a grandparent. Uh, so it should be a very interesting approach to the show. Okay, so let's just start out with uh, uh, some of the major changes. I remember when our k- children were uh, born and uh, we were raising our children uh, early on, we were ha- making sure to lay our babies on their their face down. Their bellies. Let's explain that story and what's changed, Joni. Well, we there's a campaign called Back to Sleep that came out after studies showed that there's an increased risk for sudden infant death syndrome when babies are placed on their bellies. You know, there's science that we don't understand totally, but there is an increased incidence of... Um, asphyxia, babies that may not be able to lift their head, and so they rebreathe the carbon dioxide and... And, then it, and, it, and it makes them... It's sedated. so perfect, sedated from the carbon dioxide, and then they slip away. So, what, we, so what is sudden infant death by definition? Oh, I can't give you a textbook definition, but it's an undetermined death. I mean, when we see Crib often... Death. Yeah, babies die in their sleep, and we don't know why it occurs most commonly in the first four months of life. And as we've said, it occurs more commonly in babies that sleep face down. And then also with different objects in their beds, pillows, blankets, stuffed animals. Those big, furry, soft covers, yes, are uh, kind of like... A risk factor for this. Yes, and even bumper 
pads that we used to have in our, in our baby's beds. We don't do that anymore. So it's been a change that has occurred over the last 30 years, and we are seeing a decreased incidence of sudden infant death syndrome. I, you know, it's a very <laughs> the interesting story. I remember uh, our dear friends Kevin and Sherry Eichel were, had a, a new baby, Katie, at their home, and uh, and we were over to see Ka- the new little baby Katie. You know, and of course we as as physician nurse practitioner, pediatric nurse practitioner advisors, you know, they're asking all the questions. And we said, now make sure that she lays on her belly, you know. Well, they didn't ask that. We just volunteered because yeah. she was sleeping on her back. <laughs> we said, no, no, she needs to sleep on her belly. And, um, and, and, and of course, uh, I think they years later, they, the time. they flipped her on her belly at, at the time. And then years later, they told us, no, she wouldn't sleep on her belly. And <laughs> they were right. And, we were and they were right. And we were wrong. <laughs> but that was a change uh, at the time. It well, happened not too long after that. Exactly. So, yeah, in the, it would have been in 89, right around then we were discussing it. Mm-hmm. So um, 90, 91, it changed because of the science. You know, we, you need to have science to guide you in, in understanding the best way to, to, to care for children as well as the best way to care for older people. You use science to, what is the truth? You know, what is it that is the best thing? You know, and that's what we try to do. Let's take our first break, and then we'll come back, and we'll um, we have one question that's come in, but we would welcome We'd your love questions. Love your questions. Six nine two fourteen thirty, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Hi, this is Joni Holm filling in for Joan Hogan, and this is Prairie Doc Radio. This is a weekly call-in show for those of you who might be new to our program. Uh, we would welcome your questions if you call us at 692-1430. I'm, I, and I shout out to Joan Hogan and Ed down there in, in Florida who, who are enjoying the sand fleas. And, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, don't, uh, Believe me, it's warmer than our seven. Oh, it's seven today. It was seven. Walking four? Oh, four. Four. It got us four. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I walked to Cook's Kitchen. I can tell you my toesies got cold by the time I got there. No question about that. <laughs> uh, do you want to continue with the pediatric topic, or would you like to take the question? No, l- let's go a little bit further. Uh, one of the issues that you deal with every day is an anxious parent who is worried that they're not doing the right thing, and that there's something wrong with their child, and that when you know the most important question that people need to understand probably is when Joni should people bring their child in to be seen what would be the salient points to remember or when not to bring the child in well my advice is to look at the whole picture and I just don't know how many times I've said that look at the whole baby Uh, a runny nose a cough in and but of itself is just not an issue if that baby has a fever of over 100 101 if they're not taking fluids, if their breathing is rapid, if their urine output is decreased, if they're so crabby you can't console them, that's a different situation. So it really makes a lot of difference in looking at the whole baby. Um, Say that again. I mean, that, that list is a very important list. I, I like that list. So when that baby is inconsolable. Well, that, there are a lot of babies that are inconsolable. <laughs> 
that's that alone is not it. But but when something's not right and your sense says, I'm w- too worried to take it. I'm going to bring them in. I think that's a correct thing to do. But it is. But stop first. Take your time. What Un- is it? Undress your baby, and look all over. Is there a hair wrapped around their toe? Are there? Is their sleeper too tight? You know, do they have a diaper rash? I mean, just take your time and relax, unless it's that breathing issue, you know, or something that you, you know, change in their level of consciousness. Yes, you're going to go in right away. But if it's a fussy baby, Examine. they may, they may be responding to your anxiety. I have had parents come in, and the parents are shaking... Well, and I don't want to say shaking as in like shaking baby syndrome, but they're, they're anxiously jiggling their baby so much because they're trying to get him to come down that the baby's anxious because of that jiggling. I can take the baby and put him over my shoulder and they and go pat him gently on the back off and go to talk sleep. softly to them. And many times, not always, that'll calm him down. But I, I am a huge believer in strollers. Even in this cold weather when we might not want to go outside, if you've got an anxious baby, put them in their stroller and roll around the house. So things like that. Just step back and try something new and different and try your, being calm yourself and see if your baby responds. Now, if you are out of control and you feel like you can hurt your baby because you have had it with that crying call for help never feel bad about that and we do talk about that a lot everybody can reach that breaking point and if it's your next door neighbor or if it's your your mom or someone it's okay to say i need a break i I have to tell you the story i'm working in the emergency room oh i think it was 20 years ago plus or whatever and a baby a mama and her family and a baby comes in with uh, the baby screaming bloody murder, you know, and so I take the baby and put the baby in my arms, and the volume of the scream was so loud my ears started ringing, uh, and it wasn't long after, you know, and I could see how that mother had it because I had it, and it wasn't very long. I said, "Thank God I can hand this baby back to somebody else and not have to be burdened by this screaming baby that was absolutely, you know, and of course." There was an ear infection uh, with for which we treated, uh, I treated the, uh, the baby. And, but you know, within 12 to 24 hours, that's, that baby's going to feel better. And you're going to have Tylenol on board in the meantime. Right. And, you know, you lay them across their, your knees on their belly and pat them on the back and relax. They say the volume of a scream in your ear from a screaming baby with held over your shoulder is louder than the volume of an air, airplane starting up on the tarmac for which they have these people wearing these big, huge earphones. Uh, if it gets to that point, I mean, earplugs may be a wise idea, not to say that you would ever ignore your child, but I'm just saying. Yeah, just to cut there, the volume. That's a, that's a volume reducer, that's all. Anyway, that, yes, what you're saying is so important that if you're at the end of your rope, get somebody else to hold the baby for a while while you take a break. Right. And if you don't have anyone, put the baby in the crib and on their back 
and a safe crib with no other things in the crib and walk away. If your baby cries uncontrollably for 15 minutes because you're at wit's end, it's okay. That baby is not going to be harmed. Way better than if you lose control and were to injure your baby. And before we get to these wonderful questions, thank you for calling. We did a, a thing in our house. Is, uh, when the baby uh, woke up in the night, dad would get up, change the diaper, bring the baby to mama, who would breastfeed the baby. She would put the baby back in bed. Sometimes uh, as the ch ch children grew in that experience, the, the, the child wanted to be with us and would scream bloody murder and then we'd pick the baby up and everything's fine. Put the baby back in the crib, scream bloody murder. And our philosophy was at the time, and I'm just gonna ask you, is it, has it changed any and what do you think of this? That you would give the baby five minutes screaming, go back, reassure, leave the baby in the crib. Otherwise you can't, the baby will never get used to being alone, being in the crib by him or herself and knowing that it's okay, that you're safe there. So we would reassure it, the baby, and then walk away, give it five or 10 minutes, come back, reassure the baby, and so on. Well, I think there are a lot of different opinions, but I still hold to that personally. And I, possibly five minutes is a little long. You might wanna go in more frequently, but the key is don't turn the lights on, don't play with the baby, pat him on the back or the head or the shoulder and say, I love you and leave. You don't want them to feel abandoned, but as soon as you get them out of bed, they know they've won. Babies are really smart and are innately <laughs> figure that out. And I, I seriously do not believe in co-sleeping. And, and again, there are a million opinions out there, but that is ha causes but, an increased risk of injury to well, your baby. Well, you roll, ba people roll over on their babies you know, in their sleep. I that mean, uh, and also beds, um, adult soft. beds are not made for babies, and they can get caught between the bed and the headboard. I mean, there's just a million things they can roll off. It's not a safe sleep environment for a baby. For a baby, so. Uh, leaving them in their crib and um, helping them to learn to comfort themselves is a much safer way for them to, to learn to sleep. Uh, we do need to go to another break, and we have great questions that I'm going to get to right okay. after this break. Please continue to listen to our program. This is Prairie Doc Radio, and call us with your questions at 692-1430. Hi, this is Joni Holm. I'm filling in for Joan Hogan for Prairie Doc Radio. We have our medical editor, Rick Holm, in the studio. Our first question that's come in is, uh, what can grandparents do if they see their granddaughter gaining excessive weight? What should their role be in this situation? Now, what we don't have is an age on this. I'm going to I'm going to make a guess and and think of this as like a preschooler or you know a, a young elementary age. Um, do you want to? Right. Well, what, I know one data that's important. Uh, uh, fat little babies do not correlate with fat adults. Fat little babies don't correlate with fat adults. Or so we're talking before a year. Before a year. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think, you know, nutrition is such an important thing during those early years, uh, that early year, those early months, first months. So nutrition away, uh, chubby little babies, fine. Okay. But uh, the issue is that uh, what brings on, why do we have obesity epidemic in America? 
in the United States. It's worse in the United States than in any other country in the, in, in the world. Why is there an epidemic? Uh, some would say that we are giving them too much carbohydrates. Uh, and of course the epidemic of diabetes that goes with the obesity that's happening, uh, that's gonna spread and cause havoc as these diabetics age um, uh, is a big deal. And uh, so some would say that it would be better to make sure not to feed your children so many processed carbohydrates. Carbohydrates that are not processed would include fruits, uh, would include um, nice roots, root vegetables, the non-starchy vegetables. The starchy vegetables, corn and potatoes. The non-starchy vegetables, all the other potatoes, all the other vegetables that we have. And so fruits and vegetables are the things that we don't feed our children enough. And uh, I would say that if I were going to try to devise a diet that would be good for my child, it would be in that realm. Uh, uh, and I would try to stay away from fast foods uh, as a child grows up. Now, I mean, you know, a lot of people don't know how to do it otherwise, but there are a lot of ways to feed uh, children and your family without going to fast food. Not to say that there isn't a time for it. I think the real answer is everything in moderation and um, uh, including advice about moderation. <laughs> okay, and, and I would say modeling, and, and you've mentioned that. Modeling. Modeling. Uh, when children see adults eating fresh broccoli, when they see them eating chicken, real chicken, not chicken McNuggets, they learn to eat real those chicken. foods. Yeah. Real chicken. <laughs> and then secondly, physical activity. I mean, when we're talking a child in the past, when we were children, we were much more physically active. Well, I shouldn't say that in all cases. That's not true. But in general, you went outside and played. And, in and this, now we don't. We play too much on the game board. And so modeling, taking your child to a park, feeding them um, fruits and vegetables, all those things will contribute to uh, helping that child eliminate uh, the TV would time. I as the grandparent make a point of it with this with their grandchild and uh, no <laughs> I would not say your child is too heavy and be pointed about it I would just do it in a soft way and model and help the parents by maybe example. to uh, teach by example teach by example I, I want to go one other qu a point and that is so we, so we have a society now that is heavier and the question is Okay, we can lose weight. We've got to try to encourage people to lose weight. And the studies show that the very best way to lose weight, you get 30% off. Or 30% will actually lose weight. 30% will lose 20 pounds or more. That's what the data is. And then, if you wait an, a year of the 30%, uh, only 30% of that, or 10% of the total, will have kept it off a year. And after five years... You know, it's less than 5%. It's it's 1% and 2% or 0%. But your dad is all on adults. It's on adults. And my point is, and of course this was a pediatric question, but my point is about adults who are out there that are heavy. Once you're there, it's unlikely you're going to get out of that. It is not, and you should not feel guilty about the value of you. You shouldn't let people make you, put you down because of your weight. You are a lovely person because of your caring way, your personality, your, your person, your, your spirit, not your weight, not what you look like. You are your heart. Uh, it's only skin deep. 
and realize the value of you comes from your heart. So uh, we do know, however, health-wise, that a heavy person who exercises will live as long as a thin person who exercises. And so stay physically active, please, please, please. And if you're heavy, it's harder to do that. But it's more important that you do it. There, there was my... Those yeah. are very good points. Um, with children, it's, it's going to be a very rare situation where we are encourage them to lose weight. It's going to be much more common that we're going to hope they stabilize their weight as they grow and that they are physically active and eat well. And never harass a person, a child growing up who's heavy and say, bad, bad, ugly, ugly. I mean, how wrong? I don't how think that. wrong? I don't think people are people doing do that. that. No. Uh, I want to move right to this next question, or we're going to run out of time. A uh, grandparent is asking about their five-year-old grandchild who has uh, cons- ongoing constipation and how to treat it. The mom wants to use a laxative. The grandma wants to increase the fiber. Okay, I'll give you my comment, and then you, the expert in children, will give the final answer. But my answer is that fiber is way better than almost anything for constipation. Um, And if you use laxatives, there's two kinds of quote-unquote laxatives. One is the stimulant laxative, like X-lax, Correctol, um, Senna. Those are bad because what happens is you have what's called tachyphylaxis. You have to use a higher dose next time for it to work and then a higher dose next time, and it's like heroin. you got to go higher to get the same uh, effect. Uh, effect. Um, and, and then when you, when you stop something like that, then you have withdrawal constipation. So you're in a world of hurt when you're using uh, Senna or those kinds of stimulant laxatives on a regular basis. The laxatives that are acceptable are the, those that use uh, that are osmotic. They draw fluid into the gut, and so stool softeners are acceptable. Certainly fiber is my first choice. I think a cho- uh, 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 one of the, the osmotic diuretics is, or, or not diuretics, but osmotic uh, laxatives is um, sorbitol, which is uh, a non-absorbable sugar, and then it draws fluid in and, and does that. So there's my recommendation for adults, try to avoid, like the plague, the stimulant laxative, maybe once every uh, week at the max, but don't depend on those because you get dependent on it and they lose their effect unless you increase the dose and then you can't get off of them. I agree. Um, I, I do think that the fiber is important, but it needs to be lifelong. It's not something that, oh, I'm going to treat today with some fiber. It's changing the way that child eats and and encouraging a high fiber diet all the time and sometimes we have to get past that first constipation uh and and possibly like you're saying that might be the the rare time time that we would use an agent to get their their bowels softened and then work on that high fiber diet now something that i have found really effective with um Babies. Now, this is a five-year-old, so it's a little different. But with babies, uh, rec- stimulating the rectum will cause them to push and help with with bowel movements. And so, w- what I'm talking about is toilet a, paper and then a, rub, rub, bump, 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 Q-tip uh, oh. or or a thermometer. You know, our old glass thermometers that we use. Okay. Vaseline. Put the 
Q-tip in the rectum about a half a centimeter. Now, we're not talking far, wow. you know, not hurting the baby. You're just stimulating the rectum, and the, the child says, I don't like that, and pushes and pushes out the bowel movement. Okay. The other thing is using uh, your treatment for adults, Fiber One. I remember a, a, a parent going to a specialist uh, because their child was having trouble with bowel movements. And I said, well, you know, in the meantime, try Fiber One cereal. And they put it on the, the child's tray, and the child was at that independent age where they wanted to do everything themselves and feed themselves. Before they got to the specialist, their Bowel problem was over solved. because they were eating the <clears throat> high fiber. What about concentrated sugars like molasses? What does that do? That does the opposite, right? Or, or what do you use molasses? No, we or? use molasses. We use caro syrup in babies who are constipated. And so it's exactly what you're talking about. It's it brings the water fluid. into the bowel and makes the stool softer so it's easier to And one push other out. thing, you know, people like to take a, 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 you know, processed fish oil because it's good for the heart. But the same icosapentaenoic acid which is in fish oil and in fish and in and and can constitute some scent source of vitamin D in, in fact is in ground flaxseed. So if uh, you're looking for a good source of fiber, if you're an adult or a child, the flaxseed, you buy it whole. You can get whole flaxseed, and then you grind it in your coffee grinder so it doesn't get stale, because it'll get stale if you buy it already ground. Buy uh, whole flaxseed, grind it, and then put it in your cereal, your oatmeal, your, gr- your, your breakfast cereal. We use it like that at our house. Uh, and it'll give you the benefit of the oil, which is another reason why it gets uh, um, sticky down there with just fiber. We're running out of time. We only got two minutes, don't we? Something One. Like that. So, yes, One that's something that um, we don't generally, you don't hear that with babies, but you could use that ground flaxseed in their applesauce and their yogurt and in other foods. I love the idea of applesauce, yogurt. I mean, and now we're talking good, regular Normal foods, not processed, fruit. What fruits do you like for children to have? <laughs> All fruits. <laughs> All fruits. And, you know, dried fruits, We don't. We, those are great for constipation. So, um, Prunes is the classic, try, but dried raisins or... Apricots. You, you'd be surprised. People say, oh, well, they won't like them. Well, they've never tried. So give that a try. Again, okay. that independence, letting the child feed themselves. Yeah. Okay, we did not get to a question, and it's what way, is it? way too big. What Explain is it? Explain the various forms of diabetes. Don't even try it. Diabetes 1 and 2. Yeah, we're going to get up to it on we'll another do it next show. Time. Next week. Yep, we'll be back. Because that's going to take some time. So thank you all very much for listening uh, to Prairie Doc Radio. We hope you'll join us again next Wednesday, same time, 930. And until next time. Thank you, and stay healthy out there.